They may not have seen it all, but they've experienced. Fourth and 26. Stinks in a trash. AI's crossover. Throwing batteries at J.D. Drew. Brad Lidge hugging Carlos Ruiz. The Legion of Doom. And thousands of wins and losses over three decades of fandom. Talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Here are your hosts, Joe O'Donnell and John Mita. What is up, SoundCloud.com? It is the Brotherly Love Podcast, the one and only. Follow us on Twitter at Love Podcast. Joe O'Donnell, John Mita. Johnny Meats, hot off the wire. What do you got? What do you got? Fly guys, give it to me. Oh, man, what a great victory for the Flyers tonight. And I know you're probably not going to believe me when I say this, but they won tonight in a shootout. Yes, that is not a joke. They were able to pull one off against the best team in the National Hockey League. Great win tonight over those Washington Capitals. It was a big win for the Flyers and absolutely put them in prime position to try to seal up this last playoff spot. Now two-point lead over Detroit for the final playoff spot in the Eastern Conference, and the Flyers still hold a game in hand. uh, 2-1 shootout win over the Caps tonight. And if nothing else, it keeps Braden Holtby from possibly breaking the all-time single-season wins record in NHL history held by Martin Brodeur. Not that I'm a Brodeur guy or a Devils guy. I'm just hating on the Caps big time, brother. Yeah. Well, it looks like he's probably going to win the vest. I mean... He might be MVP of the league, too. You could be right on that. I mean, he played incredible tonight. I mean, Claude Giroux was able to basically, you know, shot a slapper from basically the blue line that Brady Chen was able to deflect. But, I mean, throughout the course of the game, he was just coming up with some ridiculous things. So I got to apologize to Dave Haxtall because about this time last week, I chirped his shootout strategy going with Nick Cousins, (laughs) Sam Gagne, et al. Didn't really chirp him, just kind of question it and – uh, yeah. both Cousins and Gagne scored tonight in the shootout. Yeah, goes right back to the well, Joe. Right back to the well. You heard your comments? He said, I had Joe done Yeah, he's like, screw that guy out in Iowa. I'm rolling with the guys I know can get it done. So, huge for the Flyers. Uh, it's not a regulation or overtime win, so should have come down to the tiebreaker that, you know, once you go past 65 minutes, those wins don't help you as much. But two points is two points is two points this time of year, and God damn it, the Flyers will take it. Now completely in the driver's seat for a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference with a handful of games to go. Still another game with the Caps, I believe, left. Still a game with the Wings. And I'm sure they're playing the Penguins at some point before the season's out. So ain't going to be easy, but the Flyers have at least put themselves in a spot. And a big reason for that, Shane Gostasbear. Shane Gostasbear. And uh, for the man they call Ghost. Man, I was working on that all day. Gostas Bear, John Mita, should he be the Rookie of the Year, the Calder Trophy Award winner in the National Hockey League? What do you got? I would say absolutely 100%, and for a couple reasons. I know that he hasn't played the amount of games that some of these other rookies have played. He got caught up late. He's probably, I think it's like 23 games behind uh, some of the other people, but if you look at what he's done since he's been brought up, this team would not be in this position today if it wasn't for his play. 
Think about the what fifteen point game, you know, the fifteen point game streak he went on. Just the play, just the other night, the play he made what two nights ago against Winnipeg. You know, knocks down a puck, beats Giroux in front of the ref, net for the, the overtime. He's had what four? I think he's had four overtime game winners this year. Yeah, I mean, four overtime just, game winners, five game winners overall, forty-two yeah. points in fifty-seven games. Yeah, I mean, how how could you not give it to him? If the Flyers end up making the playoffs, I mean, seriously, like if you take him off this team, there's just no way that this team is in this position at all. You I agree. Give it to him. I agree. Jack Eichel, the Buffalo Sabers, got to be in the conversation, but. He's on a sure. you know a you know a horse crap hockey team. You look at Dylan Larkin in Detroit had a hell of a year. The speedster, Definitely. you know, you got to give him a stick tap. Artemi Panera bread, as I like to call him, Artemi Panarin in Chicago. Chicago right? But he's been yeah. playing with Patrick Kane all year, and that Hawks team yeah. is fine without Panera bread. All right, right. They could right. be going to Cheesecake Factory. They don't need Panera bread. All right, they're good. <laughs> so. To me, it's this simple, John Mita. If the Philadelphia Flyers make the playoffs, Shane Gostisbehere is the biggest reason why. So if his impact is that big on one of the top 16 teams in the league, if you will, then who's been more impactful as a rookie? I can't find anybody else. And let's keep in mind, you bring up a great point. He didn't play the whole year. So Ghost could have easily, easily posted 50 points this season. He's still playing about... Uh, he still could get the 50, even though he missed the games, but he easily would have surpassed 50 had he played all year long. All right, He's not a defensive liability. He's a plus eight, playing about 20 minutes a night on, again, a possible playoff team. And if you're looking for some, some context here, the last 10 years, two defensemen have won the Calder Trophy Rookie of the Year in the National Hockey League. Aaron Ekblad, Florida Panthers, won it last year at just 18 years of age. He only had 39 points, and I hate to say only as an 18-year-old, but he was Rookie of the Year. Tyler Myers, a couple years back, had 48 points. He won in 2010. So there's two defensemen in recent memory that have won the Calder Trophy. Ekblad last year of Florida, 39 points. Myers had 48 points in 2010. Gosses Bear is 22 years old. Keep that in mind. The Calder Memorial Trophy, John Mita, named after former National Hockey League President Frank Calder, is awarded to the National Hockey League player judged to be the most proficient in his first season. All right? Yeah. I mean, come on now. Most proficient in his first season. You want to talk about an impact? You want to talk about a guy that's gotten it done, that's had that type of game-changing, season-changing impact on his team? It's Shane Gossesbear. No question about it. 42 points in 57 games and five game winners. That doesn't count... The goalie set up the other night in overtime, as you touched on. The while uh, the Flyers' power play has been, you know, in, on another planet with this guy in the lineup. He's got a great shot. He's an unbelievable skater. If he finishes anywhere in that fifty-point range, if he finishes strong in the last five, six games, and the Flyers make the playoffs, Shane Gossisbear, the Ghost, is your Calder Trophy winner in the National Hockey League. Period. End of sentence. Right on, brother. Couldn't agree more, man. All right, we're off to a flying start on the Brotherly Love podcast on SoundCloud.com, but here's an overview of what else we've got for you. Villanova in the final four. We'll get there in a moment. The NFL draft is looming. Should the Eagles look to move up in the first round, even more than they already have? The Phillies give Pete McCannon a two-year contract extension. And the Lakers, well, my have they fallen from grace. 
So, Johnny Mita, I'll turn the ball over to you, no pun intended. Congrats, my friend. The Wildcats, first trip to the Final Four since 2009. They defeat the Kansas Jayhawks 64-59 in the Elite Eight. After dispatching Miami with ease, you said they'd win by double digits. They did. The Jayhawks a little bit more of a test, but the defense of Villanova, paramount, clutch free throws down the stretch, 18 for 19 from the charity stripe for the game. And even though they didn't shoot very well in the second half, Villanova faced some real adversity, my friend. They rose up to the challenge, and they're back in the Final Four. How's it feel? Oh, man. What a great feeling. you got to love this team. Just the way they play for one another. I mean, they just have each other's back. They communicate so well with one another on the court. It's just great to see. They're all a bunch of good, you know, a nice group, group of guys. I couldn't be happier for Jay Wright. Uh, sometimes, you know, he doesn't get the accolades as a good coach. I think he kind of sometimes gets overlooked. But uh, just the, the impressive performance. I mean, the game against Miami, everybody thought, wow, this is a matchup that could give Villanova some trouble. Miami has the guard play. They have the athletes to compete. And Villanova, right, Ryan Archidiacono, you, you can't say enough about this kid's play the last couple games. And that Miami game, he single-handedly took the game over in the first half and was just, he just had that look in his eyes, like, I will not let my team lose. I'm not going home. And how they dispatched Miami, you mentioned Villanova shooting 18-19 against Kansas from the free throw line. They had the same type of performance against Miami. They were 18-19 behind the charity stripe as well. So all things are coming together. And that's, that's the difference with this Villanova team that I've seen you know, I'm a huge fan, but I think what separates this team is their defense and rebounding from other teams in years past. Like before, it was like, okay, if they don't, if they shoot the ball poorly one night, it's going to come back to bite them. If their threes aren't going down, they're probably going to get beat. But the way this team plays so gritty on defense, they will be able to contend with anybody in the country. Now, the task at hand is large. Now you got to go up against an Oklahoma team. So they played earlier this year uh, at Pearl Harbor on December 7th when the early games were scheduled. Villanova got rocked big time, shot a the season worst 432 behind the three point stri- behind the three point line in the game. This is going to be it's good, but I like this matchup to the fact that Villanova is going up against Oklahoma. It's hard to beat a team twice, and they've seen them, they've played against them, and now this team is totally different from the one that Oklahoma faced early in the year. So Oklahoma's going to have to bring their A game, but you got to love Villanova's chances. And it's, this is the year that anybody – I mean, look look at Syracuse. Yeah. Syracuse finished 10th in the ACC. 10th in the ACC. They were talking about they were one of the last teams in the field, and now they're in another Final Four. So I, I just don't love the way this team's playing. I think they're confident. They seem very focused, like – they're not complacent. They know that there's more work ahead, and I just love their spirit. And I, I, I think they're going to find a way to at least get to the uh, the national championship game. But it's you know North Carolina is looking pretty strong. The one thing about North Carolina is they don't really shoot the ball that well from the outside, so that could be a reason how they could get beat. But um, I love their chances. I love the way they're playing. And listen, I think they got as good a shot as any. Now, Buddy Hill, he, he is a prop. He is a dynamic shooting guard, and 
you know he's going to get his 25 to 30 points. No, he averages 25 and 5, does the senior guard. Right. You know, right. he had 37 right. points in the Elite Eight against Oregon. So, Buddy Heald, that team goes as he goes, and uh, there's no yeah. surprise there. They're number two seed from the West region. They won by 12 in the Elite Eight game. They're rolling as well. But I, I really think uh, some of the things you touched on, the intangibles, the senior leadership, the way this team plays for one another. Look, they were in some foul trouble in that game against Kansas and found a way around it. And I think... I think this is a Villanova team that, you know, you bring up some good points. They're a different team from years past that I've watched. Again, I don't have the the track record, the knowledge of this Nova team that you do going back, you know, a decade plus. But in the last couple of years, you're right. When they didn't hit their threes, that's why they got bounced from the tourney. They just didn't shoot well enough. Now they don't have to shoot well enough because they have an inside game with the chef and they've, they're playing great yeah. defense and they have depth. You know, I mean, they go to the bench and they're bringing a booth and rental and these guys are contributing. Yeah, well, that's, uh, it's funny you bring that up. And I think that's another difference in this team. Due to the fact that all these young guys have gotten the experience, I'm talking about Jalen Brunson, who, you know, he's a soft. Mikhail Bridges, talk about an unsung hero. The way that, that kid played against Kansas, he had, like, down this track, the last eight minutes of the game, they were huge. Like, yeah. He had the drive against Perry Ellis. Then he had the putback, the one that Josh Hart tipped up. Then he made two crucial steals in the last three minutes of the game to basically seal the deal. So he's a long defender. I think that you can see that matchup going against Oklahoma. If he comes in, I can see him going up against Buddy Heald. He's got a seven foot two wingspan, so his length could be a problem. But you know, Oklahoma comes, and he sees match up too. If you look at the way they're structured, Oklahoma runs three guard lineup with two forwards. Same thing with Villanova. I do think Villanova has an advantage if they got to go to the Chester. I think he's the one guy, if they fed him like they went down the stretch against Kansas against them, I think that's a big matchup. They also got to look at the way Villanova handled Perry Ellis. He was their number one. He was Kansas's number one option. They held that kid to four points. Remarkable. Yeah. Remarkable defense against So, And I think with Chris Jenkins, He's been playing out of his line during the tournament. That means that Ryan Spangler or Kadeem Lavin is going to have to chase Chris Jenkins all around the perimeter. I think it's going to open up a lot. Josh Hart didn't play that well against Kansas defensively. He had a couple big shots here and there, but I expect a, a better and bigger performance out of him. I got a lot of chances against Oklahoma. There's no question about it. It's going to be a, a dogfight, but I think, I think, I think they'll find a way to get it done. It's just, this team just seems different. I don't know. They just seem like that, that they're ready to take it to the next level. Four players in double figures for the Wildcats and their win over the Jayhawks. So, John Mita, by the time we take to the air again next week for the Brotherly Love Podcast, episode 52, is Villanova cutting down the nets in Houston as the national champions for the second time in school history? Hey, look, like, like, let me let me give you a few seconds to think about this one. I don't want any fence sitting here, all right? I don't want any homerism. I want you to yeah. lay it out for our peeps on SoundCloud.com when we come back next week. Am I saying you're a prognosticator and you were right on point? Either way, I don't care which way you go here. I just want to know if you got the goods to lay it out in the line right now. 
Brian really put me on the spot. I know. We didn't talk about this. We we just said we'd talk about yeah. the matchup. So give it to me. Nah. If they're not the national champs, who is? Nah. I, if they're not the national champs, North Carolina will be. Okay. I don't know. I got a feeling that they might find a way to pull this. I don't want any I don't knows, man. I want the answer. <laughs> uh, they're going to make it happen. I got a feeling they're All right, there it is. You heard it first. Bet your house. There's a guy out here, some yeah. local some local guy on the radio. I don't I still don't understand his shtick, but he's on Sports Talk Radio from time to time. His whole thing is bet yeah. your house. He just tells you bet something your and bet your house. So from John Me to Bet Your House, Nova cutting down the nets. Oh, oh man, that's hilarious. All right, we'll step aside. Nova Nation. And the Flyers in our rearview mirror coming up next on the Brotherly Love Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com. We'll talk a little Phils, we'll talk a little Birds, and the Lakers at Grease Fire in the PR department. Welcome back. It is the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com. Keeping it real, keeping a gangster. Joe Donald John Mita here with you. A little old school, my friend. Old school right there. That was a good day to put up the flyers. That's for sure. Yep, yep. It was also a good day for Pete McCannon, the Phillies manager, a couple days back. He got a contract extension. More on that in a moment. But first, the Philadelphia Eagles... The NFL draft looming, rumors swirling. They might want to move up, move up, moving on up in the draft some more. John Mita, you said to me before we went on air, one of the things you wanted to talk about was whether or not they should go up and get that franchise quarterback. Move up from number eight overall. You buying or selling? I'm definitely selling this move. I mean, I'm just looking at what it's going to take to move up. and I'm just not so sure. There's so many holes on this team right now. I'm not so sure that I would mortgage the future. Now, if you're talking about a prospect like an Andrew Luck, somebody or a Peyton Manning, somebody that you know that is that is can't miss, I get it. You're basically looking at a one a division one double A quarterback and Carson Wentz and Jared Goff. I don't know what quarterback these guys like better. They're basically had private workouts with both of them. Um, they've also scheduled a private workout with Paxton Lynch. I, I'm just not so sure you make that leap. You, you don't have a second-round pick. I think you just let things play out and just take the best player available at that time, who's the most highly rated player. If it's that offensive tackle from Notre Dame, Ronnie Stanley, if Jared Goff, you know, let's just suppose the Cal QB, the way things move on the board, he, he's there at eight. Maybe you take him there. Or do you take Ezekiel Elliott, the running back from Ohio State, who looks like a can't-miss playmaker to, to kind of circumvent the backfield that you've lost over the last couple of years to just give you that offensive weapon? And if you get a dynamic running back like that, maybe you don't need – I mean, I just – and I don't know if these guys are franchise quarterbacks. Yeah. That's the hardest thing. I know. I mean, that's 
So I'm with you, man. I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more because you don't if if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, the question you need to ask yourself is are one of these top QBs the new face of the franchise? And if the answer is no, or it's even one percent no, then you you can't slide up anymore. You it, it costs too many assets in the National Football League draft to be moving all over the place just to get a guy on a hope and a prayer. And look, I know Poopy Peterson wants a shiny new toy to play with. Right, he's a he's a yeah. former quarterback. He's a offensive mind. He's now a head coach, and boy, would he love to, you know, Andy Reid, Donovan McNabb, arm and arm into the sunset. But mm-hmm. I don't care about any of that crap. All right. Bottom line is, you hit it right on the head. Too many holes on this team. There are other drafts for the future of your franchise. You know, there that's, there could be a deeper true. draft. A year from now, two years from now, where with the 18th pick, the 25th pick, whatever, you get the Aaron Rodgers of that draft. I mean, it happens. Do you take a flyer on the next Russell Wilson in the third round, fourth round, fifth round, or, God forbid, Matt Barkley part two? I mean, those are the things you have to weigh as a franchise. But you don't roll the dice on this because moving up in the first round costs you too much. You said it. No second round pick. So unless Carson yeah. Wentz is the next Ben Roethlisberger, unless Jared Goff from Cal is the next Matt Ryan, you know the Falcons franchise QB that that NFL scouts are comparing him to, then you do, you say no thank you to the quarterbacks in this draft, and you take whoever the hell it is that's going to make your football team that much better tomorrow with the eighth pick overall. It's got to be clear cut. Sam Bradford isn't 38 years old. He's not past his prime. He's coming off arguably his best stretch of games the second half of the season. You know, obviously, post injury for the Eagles, take an impact player. If it's not a franchise QB, so be it. Yeah, I just if you look for what it costs to move up, and we kind of everybody kind of saw the deal that was floated out there, what it was going to take for the Eagles to get Mariota or what they offered Tennessee. But to move up, you're you're going to have to give up your first rounder this year. Probably going to have to give up your first rounder next year. Yeah. You're probably going to have to give up your second rounder. You don't have one this year, so your second rounder next year. That's atrocious. And then maybe maybe even a player. Yeah, and then this guy that you're drafting, he doesn't start anyway because Bradford's going to start, all right? And why would you bring in Chase Daniel if if your plan was to draft a first-round quarterback in the first round of the draft? Yeah. Then why the hell would you sign Bradford? Why the hell would you bring in Daniel? You know, Doug Peterson... Poopy Peterson, sorry I called him Doug, my apologies. He should have known coming into this situation what the Eagles draft plans were. You don't hire a coach without talking this over. At some point in the process, hey, what's your philosophy on quarterbacks in the first round this year? Well, Wentz is okay, Goff's okay. You know, at some point that discussion had to happen before these two sides got married for the next couple of years. And it had to be, look, there's not a franchise quarterback. Our plan is to bring back Sam and then bring in somebody in free agency, maybe your boy Chase, right? That yeah. happens, yeah, boom, yeah. there you got your two QBs. Yeah, and who's to say if they move up part of this package, that if they do weigh in one of these guys, do they then trade Bradford on draft day, send them to, like, Denver? I mean, how crazy would that be? Well, that, you know Denver, what? I like where I your mean, head's at. That's at least creative. Yet, but... I oh, mean, my gosh. Could you imagine if they had Bradford and Sanchez and went... And went seven and nine. Yeah, 
It'd just be funny to have a seven to have those two idiots go seven and nine again for a different franchise back to back years. It would be funny. That's for sure. All right, the fighting Phils give Pete McCannon a new contract. He's got a club option for 2018, but in the meantime, he gets some. He doesn't. He's not that lame duck manager this year. All right, he's got a. He's got some continuity. He's got some stability in his life. Too soon for a new deal? I don't think so. Because the Phillies aren't expected to to win right away anyway. So as long as the clubhouse, you know, isn't a bad environment, then what's the worst that Pistol Pete can do, right? Matt Clentak, the new GM, spoke glowingly of his relationship with McCannon over the last couple of months. Basically, they're on the same page regarding the building the proper culture. Biggest question I have is will Pete McCannon be given the green light and does he have the cojones to completely turn the page from the veteran players? You got to hold everybody accountable to get everyone on board. So if Ryan Howard's struggling, if Chuch Ruiz isn't producing, if Odubel Herrera isn't legging out ground balls, make them pay the price. Do that. Keep preaching the fundamentals. And this franchise got the right man for the job. I like the energy Pete brings from everything I can tell. The players seem to like him. He's trying to hold guys to a standard in spring training. Who knows how far this team can go this year, next year, couple of years from now. But at least you know you've got a guy that is is part of this franchise foundation-wise. And again, worst case scenario, if he's not the guy, you weren't trying, you're not going to win now anyway. So what the hell? You cut him loose in two years when you are ready to win. I, I totally like the deal. Um, I think he has a great relationship with a lot of the players. There's no doubt about it that he has a tremendous uh, communication with the young Latino players on this team. And it seems like that the clubhouse is in harmony. They've had a decent spring so far, and I don't think they could go wrong with this. The question is, you know, once they finally do build it up, will he be the guy, the future, to basically take them back to when they're competing again? So I kind of like the deal. I think, uh, who was it? When we had Mike Steele on, one of our guests, uh, I guess it was over the summer, you know, he kind of, you know, he even, you know, he spoke very highly of McCannon, you know, holding on to the job and possibly getting an extension. He just said that it just seemed like a better fit. So we'll see. It's, it's, it's a good move, I think. Who would have thought in hindsight that Ryan Sandberg and that hiring would have been such a disaster that now, wow. you know, basically two baseball seasons later, not only is he out, but McCannon, who replaced him, is now getting a new contract. If you had told me that at the time Sandberg was hired to take over for good old Charlie Manuel, Uncle Chuck, I would have told you were crazy because I thought Sandberg was – I guess I got caught up in the, all the Hall of Fame and being yeah. part of the organization and managing a AAA. He knows these young guys. What a loser Ryan Sandberg turned out to be from a managerial perspective. Yeah, and 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 that's the funny thing. At the time, they're like, oh, you know, this guy will have the respect of the players because he once was, you know, he's a Hall of Fame player. And then you look at it, and apparently his communication skills were just so abysmal. Yeah, they were zero. Um, yeah, and he wasn't able to talk to the media. I mean, he just, he was very awkward. And it just goes to show why the Chicago Cubs, and he was kind of involved with their organization, and they never pulled the trigger to make him manager. I think he interviewed maybe with them twice. And so it kind of makes you think, hmm, I wonder why they did that. Yeah, you, so. bring, up, you bring up communication. 
kind of ironic yeah. in some way that Chip Kelly's now out of Philadelphia as well for from what we can tell, a lack of communication, maybe not with the players, yeah. but within the organization to his superiors or to his colleagues. You know? Yeah. It, it's not 1973 anymore. It's not 1985. Yeah. You have to treat players differently. They're soft. They need to be coddled. The season's yeah. too long. There's all these pressures, big money, injuries, training methods. All this stuff is so much different than when Goose Gossage was striking people out. You know, he just snapped on Bryce Harper in today's game and how nobody has respect and the players. But it's just different now. I get it. I see both sides. I see the young player side. I see the old player side. It's just a different game. Our society is completely different. And and with that, you have to have give and take. You've got to have change. You've got to be able to adapt. And if you can't adapt in any walk of life, especially the world of sports, you are screwed, my friend. Uh, Speaking of a different world that we live in now our final topic here on the brotherly love podcast on soundcloud.com is a hot one to say the least i will let you take it from here my friend but the los angeles lakers have a pr nightmare on their hands it's social media related and it's young players being stupid go ahead yeah so it involves the los angeles lakers basically d'angelo russell who was the lakers you know first round draft pick kind of a guy that I kind of wanted the Sixers to get their hands on. Actually, after hearing this story, I'm glad he is not on our team. Uh, basically, what he did was he was roommate uh, with Nick Young, who's named Nick Young, who's basically engaged to, uh, you know, the pop star Iggy Azalea from Australia. And they're sitting around in their hotel room, and D'Angelo Russell is basically recording Nick Young. And he's asking him all these kind of, intuitive questions about his relationships with other women past transgressions, even though that this guy, Nick Young's engaged. So he basically records this conversation and Nick Young has no idea that he's being recorded. And somehow the, the, the audio or the video recording gets out on Snapchat on social media. And now it's basically blown this team apart. They lost by 53 points to the Lakers, that is, the other night. Um, and it seems that it's created so much dissension among team members. Guys have basically isolated themselves from any contact with D'Angelo Russell. He's actually the starting point guard on the team, which when nobody's getting along with the point guard, the Lakers have a nightmare on their hands. Um, both of them are supposed to talk to the media. They did talk today. Uh, before they're playing the Miami Heat. And it's just that the guy just makes all these mistakes. Now, I know he's a young kid, and the day, listen, this is total big brother society right now. Completely. 100% big brother. Like, there's cameras, there's phones, there's everything you do if you're in the public eye, it's going to be scrutinized, it's going to be recorded, it's going to be, so you can't afford, but. You know, what D'Angelo Russell did to Nick Young, you know, putting his personal information out there, possibly ruining his relationship. Obviously, if Nick Young did cheat on his fiancée, well, there's, you know, nobody can condone that. But the fact that this guy made this public as a teammate, this is somebody you trust. This is somebody that you go to battle with each and every day. And how your other teammates can respect you after, you know, creating such a, a spectacle like this. Just total idiotic. All he can do is apologize. 
where the Lakers go from here, I'm sure Kobe's pretty happy that uh, <laughs> this is his current call yeah. to get out. And you look, and speaking of Kobe, um, you know, once Kobe got in trouble with that case and cheating on his wife, then he kind of threw Shaq under the bus. So it's just one of these things where you should never, you know, just put your teammate out there like that. It's just, it, there's some type of code that needs to be followed here. And, and and the kid just didn't get it, and it, it's going to ruin the Lakers. But I'm I, fine with that because I, I can't stand the Lakers. <laughs> I look at this from a casual fan perspective, all right? The rest of the career of Nick Young, a.k.a. Swaggy P, is that right? Did I get that right? Yeah. The rest Swaggy of his P. career, the rest, in sports. The, the rest of Russell's career, they're going to be linked to this event. For right or for wrong, that's just the way it is today. So... From my standpoint, not knowing pretty much squat about either guy other than the fact that Russell was highly touted uh, coming out of college and was their first pick. Other than that, I'm now going to look at those two guys. Isn't that the guy, Any you know, 10 years from now when Russell's name's brought up, he'd be going to the Hall of Fame. Hey, wasn't that the guy the one time that, you know what I mean? That Those types of things, they follow you around, fair or unfair. Uh, and the other part of this for me is the fact that they spoke to the media before tonight's game. Anybody else see that as ass-backwards? Why the hell would you talk before a game about something like this that's already been a huge distraction? You want to put it to bed? You put it to bed not before a game. How are you supposed to focus then after just going to the meet? Do they both feel relieved now? They both feel better? No, now, they, now they've given their, you know, Swaggy P's, uh, or Russell's given his apology, and Nick Young's, it's just, I can't understand this. Where's the PR department for the Los Angeles Lakers to go, not happen in pregame, gentlemen? First of all, why the hell do they talk before the game anyway? Like, in the afternoon, media availability should be in the morning. Shoot around. Yeah. Why are they talking before, right before the game is pretty much the understanding I had. I mean, I saw this afternoon that the bottom line on ESPN was saying they're going to talk before tonight's game, like publicly. That you want to talk? It was it was a distraction to begin with. Now before tip off, what two hours, four two and a half hours before these guys are going to speak publicly about something like this, and then what refocus? You gotta be kidding me! Unbelievable. Yeah, it's a um, bit of a joke, man. Like it's such a mess. It just makes you wonder. I mean, even the coach said that he won't even talk to his. Now they've had turmoil all year long. Yeah, Byron Scott and D'Angelo Russell. Pretty much, I don't think he lasts a year there. He gets fired. But, I mean, who wants to jump into that? So, I just hope that they don't secure, the Lakers don't secure a top three pick and we get the draft pick. They land on the four mark. And uh, then happy days are are here again in Philadelphia. Yeah, two of the so. top four picks would be pretty sweet for the Sixers. Lord knows they could use them. Ooh. All right, brother. No Next time we take to the air, I hope it's nothing but a Nova Nation celebration, my friend. Good luck to the Wildcats. As always, a pleasure. You got it. You got it, buddy. For sure, man. Hopefully they can get find a way to get it done. All right. Another edition in the books of the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com. Follow us on Twitter at Love Podcast. Johnny Mead, any final thoughts? Yeah, man. Just hopefully the Flyers continue uh, to make this push, and there's nothing like playoff hockey. If they can find a way to get in, man, it'll be a very exciting time because – I think at the start of the year, nobody thought that this team could be at this level. That's for sure. Well said. For John Mead, I'm Joe O'Donnell. Appreciate everybody's love and support. It is the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com. Till next time, we'll see. See.
Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com.